The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Fast Money starts right now, live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Pete Najeri and Tim Seymour, Brian Kelly and Dan Nathan. Tonight on Fast, the oil rush is on. Crude up another 5%. It is on its longest winning streak in more than a year and a half. And one trader says it is about to go even higher. Plus, the Dean evaluation is here and he says stocks are cheap. He'll tell us where to find the best deals in the market. But first, we start off with a make or break moment for this market. And that is right. The S&P 500 in the danger zone. Right back the levels. Uh, it was at its breaking point back in December. And after a dramatic fall, an even more dramatic bounce back from the bottom. A 10% move higher from the Christmas Eve lows. as stocks make a run for 2600 once again. So with the Fed seemingly in check, some progress on the trade war being made, will the market make it out of the so-called danger zone? Dan. Yeah, well, listen, you know, you set it up as kind of a dramatic setup here, but it is kind Ma- of dramatic. You should have said, is, is thank you, Maverick, no. or, or Viper, even, for that matter. Okay, I'm fine. There, I mean, I mean, but here's the deal. I mean, listen, that 2,600 level was really, really important because from the October highs, we had this decline. We got back down there. It's a level we had bounced out. It had been technical support for a little bit. And on December 14th, when it broke, it went straight down. So here we are. We're right back there. One of the things I think is really important, I think you want to look at a couple of the sectors that led on the way down. We've been talking about bank stocks. Stocks in particular, the XLF, and then let's talk about the XLI, the ETF that tracks industrial stocks. Two, two very uh, cyclical groups here, and really, let's remember what was going on. There was a bit of a growth scare back then in December. So when you look at those two charts, the XLI and the XLF, they're also approaching those breakdown levels here. So to me, I think if they get there and they can't get above there and they fail, then you continue to sell rallies. I do think it's a tough spot to continue to press lows. Um, but XLI, XLF, the really keys, uh, the S&P 500 has to get above 2,600 and stay there and has to become support. Well, he's too close to missiles, and I'm switching to guns, Mel. So um, bottom line here, it's, it's a top gun. For I got I mean, it. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I was all over it, Viper. I have no idea what anyway, you're talking about. Anyway. But, um, <laughs> bottom line here is I think the Fed actually takes you out of the danger zone if you believe the Fed mints were consistent with what Powell gave us on Friday. And that's a Fed that's not predetermined to be robotic and follow, um, you know, essentially a protocol rather than follow the data. And I think we've had reaffirmation of that. We've all speculated very well. You started it, Mel, talking about is this a guy that had to follow a script or did he have to stick on course, as, as Powell learned about his messaging. But what I think we learned from the Fed today is a couple things. And Rosengrant had some comments this morning that the market may be actually overstating the, the, the markets, uh, the, the economy and the weakness in the economy. And that's actually a Fed that, to me, might be ready to jump back into the fray. The most important things for me right now are the fact that Asia, to me, last night inflected. And I think if Asia starts to recover, and I'm not just talking about China, because I don't really care as much about the local markets there. But look at Korea, which is both you know an industrial export and also obviously the epicenter of a lot of the tech worries. Um, and, and look at the dollar, the dollar weakness, the Dixie, uh, another weekday signaling, I think, clear for crude, which we talked about at the top of the show, and emerging markets, which are near so the dollar. So the crude. dollar, to me, is the key to this whole thing, right? We had a very weak dollar today, although I'm not convinced that the Fed is out of the picture. My read of what the Fed said really? is they want the 10-year yield higher. They want a steep yield curve. Now, I don't know if the market understands that and can, di- can digest it, but when you're bumping 
bumping up against 2600 and you have the manipulator of rates saying we want rates higher on the 10 year that could they be don't a problem control the 10 year they control they want they control the yield curve because they can sell long maturity and buy yeah. two years i guess that's true. i think you and you had the greatest guest on last night mike wilson has this mm -hmm. guy been just dead on or what i mean he's been yeah. absolutely fabulous and he talked about this rolling bear market and now he's talking about a rolling bottom market so I, I'm not getting too caught up right now in the idea that we've had a couple of great days in a row. Call it three days in a row that were absolutely spectacular. It's great to see some of this movement to the upside. We've lost a little bit of the volatility out of the market as well. I got to tell you something. It, it, to me, it still comes around the trade war. And that's really what the markets. I know you said the dollar. I think everybody here might have their own opinion. I just look at what the headlines are each and every day. Now that the Fed and after Powell read his script and stayed to the script of what he really wanted to project out there, and everybody now understands it better, and he went off script before, I think because of that, now it's trade war time. And everybody's looking at that. And depending on how things go, we've had a couple of decent days in terms of what we're hearing coming out of that. And I think that's what's really propelling this market right now. So you sound skeptical, though. You actually sound like basically... Yeah, I probably am more in the bear this, camp. This with wow. the, you know, he writing checks. It's, <laughs> but, but, it's, it's but, but, can't cash. But, but, but one of the things I would say is yes. that, that, that sentiment obviously overshot to the downside in December. So we've yeah. had this kind of reflex move back up towards a level that we are all kind of comfortable with and kind of hoping it gets above. The reason why I think the banks are so important, we know that they start reporting Citigroup on Monday and then most of the top five holdings in the XLF. If the XLF can't get above this level, this, this resistance level on good news, if there is any good news, then you got a real problem because then you go back to selling every rally in some of these very... They've had volatility, though, so you'd expect the some of these banks to be those that are more involved in the actual markets themselves. They would probably be in a great position right now to maybe surprise people a little bit to the upside. I feel Maybe. like we've been waiting for the surprise to the upside we for a long been. time. Yeah. For, a year, for 2018. Even when the earnings have been yeah. good, the stocks haven't followed right. through. Right, 100% no, agree. In fact, the, the, the playbook for, for bank earnings has been actually the first couple days, despite getting record earnings, the banks actually sold off. Yeah. Then it took about a yeah. week to 10 days into earnings season before people realized that the banks were, uh, I think, delivering very good numbers. I'll say this quickly about the banks is they've been outperforming in a lower rate environment. Or, excuse me, they were, they were essentially underperforming as rates went down and actually found a little bit of flight here. But look as rates start to move higher again, uh, you know, although the yield curve has steepened, um, I think this has been an environment where banks have suffered. Yeah. Earnings, though, will be key. I mean, we're heading into mm. the thick of earnings season yes. in the next couple of weeks. Yes. Well, and, and we've already had a lot of the warnings, but that's why this, it makes it much more difficult here at 2600 or where, wherever you want to take a look at the banks at. But because we've priced in a lot of the downside and now we've rebounded and priced in a lot of, OK, maybe it's overdone there. And I do think the banks, I've liked the banks. I still like them because I happen to think the yield curve is going to steepen over 2019, not flatten out. But that being said, these are still stocks. And if the stock market itself doesn't digest that curve steepening that well, then I think the banks get hurt. So it's a lot tricky. And we've talked about it for the last several weeks about how this market going forward is going to be much more of a proactive trader's market rather than something where you can just buy and close your eyes. But the setup into earnings, I mean, this is not the setup that you want into earnings. You don't want a 10% bounce off the no. December right. lows going right. into earnings. I mean, you're much better off selling off into the period. I'll say this, though. I think the negative feedback loop of both the Fed and the market expectations is also something that the market needed to break out of. If you look at where we are today, again, we're back above that Fed day, uh, whatever that was, three weeks ago. I think the negative feedback loop for the market as you enter into earnings where, yes, we've had 10% essentially in 10 days um, is something that would worry me under normal circumstances, mm -hmm. except for the fact that, so I am worried. 
But the negative feedback loop <laughs> seems to have been broken, Pete, and I think that's important yeah. here. You know, let, let me just make one point. Next week, we're going to have Netflix report, and I think that's a really important one. I don't usually say that. That's why I don't really talk about Fang. I talk about the MAGA, right? Because these are the mega caps. Really the Microsoft, the Apple, yeah. the Google, really the Amazon. Why are you pointing at Mel like Let me tell you why Netflix is really, really important here. Because high valuation did accelerate to the downside. Look at Netflix. It's up almost 40% from its December lows here. And these are the sort of names where I could see beaten down stuff that underperformed formed all last year, have okay news and do just fine. We saw that like Lennar today. That's a really good example, okay? But I don't think stocks like Netflix are going to be afforded that same sort of wiggle room. So if there is any disappointment in those so sorts of names... So you think because of the fact that it's bounced back as much as it has, it's yes. almost done. So yeah. they're really going to have to give some really so great news. So if they, were, if they right. give an in-line quarter... I think it goes down on an in-line quarter. Our next guest says the market is facing a major test right here, and there are two key stocks that could help determine the fate of this rally. Let's go off the charts with Chris Verona, Strategus Wealth Partners. He's over at the Plasma. Hey, Chris. Hey, Melissa. Yeah, and listen, this is no doubt a, a very big spot, up 10% over the last 10 trading days. What I really want to focus on here is this 2600 to 2640 range. This is both the 50-day moving average. It's also the 50% move from the highs down to the low. So 2600 to 2640, very big level. What for us will determine whether or not we break out uh, or roll back over? We have to look at the internal characteristics uh, of this market. One thing we see consistently, when markets are coming off of bottoms, good lows, you get a big expansion in new highs. New one-month highs tend to surge coming off a low. We haven't seen it yet. I think the threshold here or the bar here is high. And if we're looking for a couple of names to kind of dictate how we move from here, two in particular that I want to focus on. Uh, the first here, if we can bring it up, uh, is Microsoft. Obviously the largest weight in the index. Really key spot here, right back at the 50 uh, and the 200. That 105, 106 range is also the 50% retracement from the high down to the low. Key spot there. And then I think most importantly, most important bank stock uh, in the world. Frankly, it's been a relatively feeble rally for JP Morgan uh, off the lows. Again, right back into 104, 105. Microsoft and JPM, we think, are the two bellwethers that dictate where this market goes from here. Chris, why don't you come on over to the right. desk? Shelby will bring the chair in. Well, JP Morgan's not in MAGA. No. Yeah, how did that miss out? Um, so, so. I like it. If they report, whatever the numbers are, and the stocks go down, you're going to be worried about the markets? You know, I forget who made the point, but we're 10% off the lows into earnings. Uh, the bar here is high. Yeah. And I think we need to remember we're only 10 days removed from a lot of fear uh, out there. If you look at classic bear market rallies, up 15% over about a month or two is not uncommon. So for us to say, okay, the trend has changed and the first half of 2019 is going to be impressive, I think there's more work to do before we can embrace that story. I forget who it was who mentioned the shape of the yield curve. I've actually been a little underwhelmed the last couple of days. The curve really hasn't steepened to the extent I would have expected it would have. I think we've gone from 9 on 2s and 10s to maybe 15 or 16. I would have expected, given Powell's comments, a little bit more of a, of a robust response there. I just haven't seen that yet. But this is definitely, in your view, a sell-the-rally market. 
I think until proven otherwise, this is a uh, 2600 to 2650 area where the market meets a lot of resistance here. So I'm curious, if you look at the market and we break down here, what's the next level? I mean, I could make a case that 2200 is your next kind of major support level. Do you see that as well? Yeah, well, I, I think we got to remember what some of the reference points here. We are still 10% above the 2347 lows from a week or two ago. I think that has to be your first reference point. What I'm most concerned about, if we rolled over here, do the internals actually start to improve? Typically on these retests or these undercuts, you actually see fewer stocks breaking down. You'll see some positive things happen in other parts of the world. You know, Tim, you've talked about EM quietly a little bit better. Um, that would be interesting to watch on any rollover here. You singled out Microsoft, but I mean, a lot of people are watching Apple as sort of a tell on the markets as well. The stock has been acting better of late. You know, Apple's interesting. Um, Right now, if you look at analyst recommendations on Apple, you have the fewest number of buy ratings in about 15 years. So the sell side is as bearish on Apple as they've been in more than a decade. I actually think that's interesting from a contrarian standpoint. This 135, 140 name seems to be pretty good support on Apple. I would be far more inclined to embrace that one here than I would be a name that frankly hasn't been hit very hard, a Microsoft or an Adobe uh, or a Salesforce. So the breadth of the market, though, over at least this rally period, um, do you it's been actually quite extraordinary, and I've heard people talk about it in a bullish sense, and as a technician, you should like that. Do you just say, hey, everything was so oversold that this breadth also you know, had to happen? So let's put it in context. Over this 10-day rally, I would say we've had two days that I would characterize as especially impressive internally. Uh, what I'm looking for, that second chart we showed, the percentage of stocks making a one-month high. You get that above 50%, and that's a low bar. It's not a lot for a stock to make a one-month high. You get that above 50%, that is your all-clear sign that enough stocks are participating uh, in this move. Chris, thank you. Thank Good you. to see you. Chris Verona, Strategas. Uh, Pete, I'm going to pose a would-you-rather to you. It's New oh, Year. Lucky, oh, man. It's New Year, and it's the first time we're going to roll this game yeah. out. Uh, would-you-rather oh. Apple or Microsoft? Uh, I own both. Right. But I think right now, in terms of where I see Microsoft, I still think that's the better stock right now for upside. And the reason I say that is, I think my, excuse me, I think that Apple's going to be a little bit under pressure for a little while, and I think that's going to extend a couple of months, especially with some of the warnings that we're hearing and all the rest of that. I think, unfortunately, the market's not going to digest that right. I think, on the other hand, I think Microsoft outperforms. If you had to pick a tell on the market, a stock, what, what stock would you pick? Well, the, the first thing I want to point out, I think the semis, if you look at Taiwan semi today, so look at the recovery in Asia I talked about. I mean, the semis actually were up almost 2.6%. That's what I want to see. I want to see semis, which are still in a downtrend, so the technical guys can say you're running into the same downtrend resistance, certainly from October, but you can argue back to July. Um, EM always bottoms first. EM is not going to be the reason you go out and buy the market. But again, names like Tencent, that's up 35% since Halloween, and that was the center of the storm. So people have started to work through some of this pain on China, or they've certainly gotten to this place where expectations of a deal mean I think there's more room to run on some of these names. Yeah, Bernstein just upgraded Micron. That really helped lift the sector. But within yep. that note, they also said they saw significant upside to SK Hynix as well as Samsung. So a lot of these beaten down yeah. uh, names in Asia. Yeah, and but we've seen the bounce off those, right? So for me, if I'm looking at the U.S. market here, it's it's got to be the banks. I mean, that to me, That's as much tell. as I like them, as much as I think they've got some upside here, if they fail here, then I think that takes the rest of the market with them. That's what he needs to see, Dan. He's not saying yeah. it's going to happen. Don't shake your head <laughs> he at him. Said, well, well, you know, your your I'm sorry it's not the I, I think that you guys are all silly. I think it all Ooh, comes back to MAGA. Silly. We lost the Apple in MAGA. The MAGA. I think Microsoft MAGA. is so important, trading at 23 times forward earnings. If you lose Microsoft, you're going to lose the market. If you lose Amazon, you lose the market. How about Netflix? Dude, we already talked no, about it. No, but hold on a second. Microsoft and Amazon have not, have not been key to this recovery. 
I understood, <laughs> but it's $1.6 trillion in market cap. And my point is, is that I don't think the market will ever get back towards 2,800, the S&P 500, if we don't have the leadership of MAGA. It just won't happen. It's, I'm just telling you. He's so really you can pumped. talk about your energy, really you can talk about MAGA. your banks, Let him go. they just oh, don't do it. I mean, come on, guys, don't be silly. <laughs> of course. <laughs> No MAGA. No, no MAGA, no market. Crude is up 5%, its longest winning streak in more than a year and a half. But just how long can the euphoria last? The traders will weigh in. Plus, the Dean evaluation is here, and he says stocks are cheap. He'll tell us why and where to find the best deals in the market. And later, check out shares of KB Home jumping after a earnings report following it on Lennar's footsteps earlier this morning. Is this beaten down group about to show some light? We are live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. Oil jumping 5% today. It's eighth straight positive day. Now 14% off the December lows and back above 52 bucks a barrel. It's been a rocky road, though, for oil, so it's time to play a little good old-fashioned game. What game? What game? Higher or lower? first up. Why don't you start us you off? You know, the momentum's oil. been good on oil. Okay. So, I, I, so I'm going to say higher. And, and I tell you what, if I look at my portfolio right now, higher. I better say higher because I'm exposed. I've got Devon, I've got Fang, i got CFX, i got XOM, KMI, COP. I am loaded up right now on energy. Oh, wow. So I, I, I'm putting my money where my what mouth is. What if it goes lower? At what point do you say, you know what, I can't hold all these oils? You know, I think some of the names, I'd probably get rid of the highest beta names. Mm. Uh, but but I think I can hold on to some of the big names like the Exxon. Yeah, the higher or lower peaks? Oh, for me it's higher, absolutely. Oh. And there's a couple different reasons. Why you have a weaker dollar? Say higher. Oh, oh uh, yeah, I didn't hear anything. Okay, stand. Come on, stand. There we go. Higher. But I, I, the reasons for me are weaker dollar, number one. But number two, Saudi Arabia today said they're going to tap the bond markets in the second quarter of this year. Now, what are you going to do if you're Saudi Arabia and you need to borrow some money? You need a higher oil price. So. I'm going to bet with that. And a minister today said that they would cut a production by about 10% this mm-hmm. month in order to create these higher prices. Look, I'm going to go higher, too, so cue oh. the green, the crowd, oh, the whole thing. Apparently not. Okay, you don't higher. have to. Either. But I, I do think oil's going higher. Remember, oil tends to overshoot on the way up and the way down. This was a story that two weeks ago looked to be shot on supply and on demand. You've had a recovery, certainly, in the concept of the global economy. That may still be hanging in the balance, but you've clearly tied up some big supply issues. If WTI breaks 54, I think you then have another thrust higher. These OSX names, by the way, they are the high octane to buy if you think it's going higher. It's amazing. We were just talking not two weeks ago about oil going so low yeah. that it would cause pain in the credit uh, area. So, and, and that may be something that we kind of have again on a retest of those prior lows, especially if we start to see the conditions that kind of led to this sell-off right. you know, just a month or two ago. I would just say this. You may have a little higher. Look at the XLE up to 65. A little higher. Then a lot lower. Then a lot lower. And I'll tell you what. Look at that XLE chart right there. Similar to the conversation we were having before. 40% of that is Exxon and Chevron. Okay, If you get rejected in the XLE at 65, this thing's going back and testing those lows back in the low 50s. 
our New Year's show, we did our predictions for, for 2019, uh-huh. and I said oil would be up 20% in 2019. So a rare case of being right very early <laughs> in the year. Take that victory lap I'll now, and that. that's it. <laughs> Bye-bye. For more on oil and the big move, uh, head on over to CNBC.com. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC, first in business worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. Pace yourself, Jay. And it looks like investors are too. When it comes to one of the largest spirit stocks, we will explain. Plus, the man, the myth, and the legend. The Dean of Valuation is here. And you won't believe what he's saying about how cheap this market is right now. That and much more Fast Money right after this break. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money Stock, staging a comeback in 2019, now up 10% from its Christmas Eve low after a rough quarter that sent the market careening in December. That sell-off also brought with it a big valuation compression. Dom Chu's back at headquarters with more on what stocks are worth now. Hey, Dom. Well, Melissa, it's been a pretty strong rally for stocks since that market bottom and the market melees on Christmas Eve. And as a result, stock market valuations have also staged a bit of a comeback from depressed levels with the overall market. So we took a look at forward price to earnings ratios. Now, in late January of last year, the broader S&P 500 traded at around 18.7 times expected earnings. Today, that number is closer to around 14.9 times. That's around a 20% drawdown from peak valuations inside of the last year. Now, from a valuation perspective, the sector that got absolutely crushed the hardest was energy, which traded with a forward PE of around 26.7 in early January last year. It currently trades at around 15.6 times. That's a 42% drop in relative valuations. Industrials traded at a forward PE of 20 in mid-January last year. Now it's 14. That's a 30% drop. Now, even a blue chip component, say like a Boeing, which admittedly has become one of those stocks tied more closely to U.S.-China trade talks and sentiment, it traded at nearly 29 times forward earnings a year ago and now trades at just below 19 times, a 34% drop in relative valuations. Now, Melissa, 
It is a combination for this entire story, no matter what stock or sector, of lower prices and, of course, lower profit estimates. Now, will traders find value picks or is more valuation compression still to come? Big question for traders. Back over to you. All right, Dom. Thank you, Dom Chu. In the newsroom, I don't know how what metrics you guys have. I mean, Don was mentioning the drop in valuations, but I think it's also important to think about it in terms of relative to itself historically, right? Yeah, Boeing relative to itself historically. And, and I think Boeing on a, on, a, on a free cash flow yield, even relative to itself, got really crazy cheap. I think if you look at the NASDAQ, it was, you know, it's at the lows, we were somewhere around 20 times, which is an extraordinary number for the growth you're getting in the NASDAQ. I don't think there's any question that we've seen valuations get to a level that's attractive. And I think even after you've gotten back to you know, a 10% rally, you can make an argument here. But we need to wait and get guidance from companies. We need fresh guidance. I still don't believe we get 7% earnings growth on the S&P in 2019. Yeah, I think that's the key. And we just talked about Microsoft. So we have an S&P that's trading 14 times. We have Microsoft trading about 23 times where EPS growth is expected to massively decelerate. If you have a full year 2019 cut, then that stock becomes a lot more expensive really quickly. So my view very simply is in some of these names that are trailing um, rich to the market, I think you do have to wait for 2019 guidance. Well, for me, it's more of a value versus momentum play here, right? So we might be in a period where value is starting to take over. So you look at something like IWD, which is the value ETF. That might be something that outperforms something like Dan's MAGA, which tend to be a lot more momentum names. You get these cycles over five-year periods. So if I'm looking for value, that's what I would do. You know, I look back, and exactly a month ago, give or take, call it December 12th. I was just looking at my notes. Got them right here. Yeah. We, t- we had a little thing we were talking about, safe buys, because of what we were seeing in the marketplace. And I looked for names that had huge contraction. They, they absolutely, you look at their PE levels or where they came from, and United Rentals, for instance, nearly a $200 stock, gets beat up. Yeah. And you start looking at Mohawk, another one of these names that was sky high and gets beat up. Single-digit PEs. But I'll give you one other that, that, that seems to have gotten lost somehow. NVIDIA. This is a $292 stock that everybody loved when it was a 90 PE, it seemed. And then suddenly it gets down to 130 and everybody hates it. Even now at 142, trading at 18 times. They have growth. I think that they're going to still be able to report growth. So I think some of those other two names, even if they are just even with their earnings and show no growth, they're trading at single-digit PEs. I think there are opportunities out there still in the market. I just think a name like NVIDIA is a bit dangerous, and I'll tell you why. Their growth has massively decelerated. EPS growth is expected to be flat. Sales growth is expected to be single digits. When people were paying 90 times for that in 2016-17, they were paying for gaming and they were paying for crypto. I know, and I don't know. You know, listen, it was a great, great trade, but these are also very cyclical stories. So if you're hitting the wrong end of the cycle, it becomes a but huge But those are the value kind of track. names, though, right? I mean, you're looking for the names that absolutely, I mean, Tim talked about it earlier. He talked about the semis and how he likes, he thinks they're maybe starting to turn. He's probably right. But, you know, you look at that name. When it was trading at 90 times, everybody loved it. That's fair. And now fair. that it's trading 18 times, at it's hard times, to though, find buyers. also thought that crypto was a growth market. Right. Although, that, that, that's and there was less away. competition and in gaming. Yeah, I mean, there's, right. there's, less competition. there's been a bit of a hangover there. Yeah. Uh, the cyclicality of, of this conversation is obviously critical because to me, FedEx is the ultimate cheap stock and arguably the, one of the most cyclical companies in the world, but trades at a trough multiple, bought some FedEx over the last week. And I, you know, I feel comfortable with that name. That's, that's a great company that to me has been pushed around by expectations of global growth. Dan shakes his head, dude, stay in your because lane, bro. It's I not mean, a MAGA. Yeah. Not it's not MAGA. It doesn't matter. <laughs>
Basically, he shakes his head the whole this show. Is, is, I just one point. You know, no one thought that Mike, uh, that Apple was going to have the dump that it did it's, from yeah. 2.30 down to here. And it did it for fundamental reasons. And then it did it for macro reasons. And one of the reasons why, if you have, if you lose Microsoft um, or any of those mega caps that are $800 billion in market cap, then this market, this is my point for months now, then this market has real problems. It's fallen and it can't get up. If you are wondering Heard where that. to find value in today's market, there's no better person to point you in the right direction than the Dean of Valuation. Aswath Damodaran is a finance professor at NYU's Stern School of Business. He joins us now from San, San Diego. Aswath, great to see you. We've been having a, be a fierce debate on this desk in terms of uh, NVIDIA. I know that's an area that you like. But overall in the markets, what sort of valuation metrics do you use? Because so many people come on and say PEs have been compressed, forward PEs have been compressed. What do you look at? I look, at a, I look at a forward-looking number called the equity risk premium. Basically, I back out from stock prices and cash flows, what investors are expecting to make. And at the end of 2018, that number was close to 6%. There have been only three years in the last 55 where you've had a higher number. One was in 1979, the other was at the end of 2008, and the third was in 2011. If you look at the cash flows and the level of interest rates today, stocks look more likely to be undervalued than overvalued. That said, though, I think the big concern for the coming year is going to be expected growth. So the earnings reports for the next two quarters are going to be key in whether stocks can sustain themselves. I think if you can go through the first two quarters without major shocks to earnings, I think the market is poised to recover. So basically, even though the market seems, according to these metrics, like the market is undervalued or more likely to be undervalued than overvalued or fairly valued, it's still a wait-and-see market for the first half of the year. Because I think growth has come down substantially. Yeah. I mean, expectations have come down so much over the last year. The question is whether we've adjusted enough or whether there's more to go. There might be more shocks along the way that bring growth on even further. But at the moment, given what people are expecting, and even in terms of lower growth, I'd be more likely to buy stocks and sell them. Okay, be, be the tiebreaker on our debate on NVIDIA and whether or not it's value in this market. And, and it doesn't have to be a comment on this individual stock, but I know that you like tech stocks in general and see value there. I did buy NVIDIA at the end of okay. last year because it's a stock that's been on my radar for a long time, but not at the prices it was trading at. My limit buy came in at 145. I'm still waiting to get back to 145. I might never get there. But I like the company. I mean, I, I think there, there is a real chance growth could drop off next year. But I think long term, I would still buy the growth in that stock at the prices that you get them for today. Um, I also like Boeing. I mean, I, I, I think it's a, it's a stock that got punished for all the wrong reasons when the, when the China prompts popped up. But, you know, let's face it. You can substitute for Apple. You can't easily substitute for Boeing. So I don't think you can tar all these companies which have China exposures with the same brush. So the two broad categories of value in this market, in your view, Aswath, are beaten up tech stocks and companies exposed to China. And what really right. caught my attention is that you even like General Electric, which is sort of, I mean, it has China exposure, but it's also a story in and of itself in terms of being a turnaround story. Yeah, you know, GE has been so beaten up that at this stage, if the management can chew gum and walk at the same time, <laughs> people are going to think they're geniuses. So I think... It's a stock that I'm buying because people just don't expect it to do much. But I think it still has some solid businesses that if it plays its cards right, I think you could see a, sig a significant recovery in the stock. But, Professor, is it, is it cheap? Is there value there? I I've tried to make the argument that there's some of the parts argument. So is yeah. that what you want to do, or do you just think it's but about chewing gum and, and walking? 
I think in a sense the, 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 the quality of the management is in how easily they can disentangle the parts. So on a sum of the parts basis, GE looks undervalued. But it's very difficult to break up the parts because they're all connected to each other. You need a pretty solid, man, solid management team to be able to separate the parts and to be able to get the best prices you can for each part. That is going to be the test for management is whether they can do that. This is not a turnaround story. This is a story of disentangling a company and selling off its pieces for the best prices they can get. Professor, thanks so much for joining us. Always a pleasure speaking with you. Aswath Damodaran of NYU. Um, next time, if I see Larry Culp, I'll see if he can walk and shoot gum at the same time. I didn't know that was such an indicator. Where would you, do you agree with any of the professor's picks in terms of value? Um, sure. I mean, NVIDIA, I just want to make one more point here, guys. NVIDIA, just like yeah. it overshot to the upside for like year after year for three years, there's a good chance, even though it's been cut in half off of last year's highs, that it overshoot to the downside. And so. Has it, it already overshot? Or well, I, but we don't know. I mean, so, so the point is, is, is that it went up a thousand percent and now it's down, you know, 50%. Could it go down 70%? I don't know. I think it's really hard to attach some kind of funky valuation metric to, a, a, you know, just to assign to what your view is about it. So I, I think that stocks like this will overshoot to the downside. We saw it in names like Square, where sentiment just got overly, overly um, optimistic. Coming up, check out KB Home rallying in the after-hour session. The company conference call is underway. We will tell you what is driving the stock up. Plus, let's get a check on our Kramer cam. And there is Jim talking to the incoming and outgoing CEOs of Constellation Brands after that stock was a major buzzkill today. We'll bring you those comments when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Time for a little buzzkill. Check out shares of Constellation Brands down more than 12% today after the company cut its guidance. Citing in part its investment in cannabis company Canopy Growth, the outgoing and incoming CEO spoke to Mad Money's Jim Cramer moments ago. There's been a lot of, uh, I, I would say, negative press and hyperbole uh, about it. But the truth of the matter is, is the Canadian government has just come out and said that uh, uh, the run rate currently is uh, roughly $6 billion, uh, which is exactly what we said it, right. it would be. We have a roughly 20 to 30% share of that, and we're anticipating that Canopy is going to be a billion dollar in revenue business in the next 12 uh, to 18 months. Did he say billion dollar revenue business, Canopy? Um, yeah. He did, right? Yeah. I wasn't sure hearing things. All right, we should know that Canopy shares did soar today after Piper Jaffray initiated coverage on the space. Um, Tim, what'd you make? Because some analysts are concerned about the balance sheet of, can of uh, Constellation Brands because of the commitments they have to make to Canopy. That's right. And, and, and the, the rally today in Canopy to me was about reasserting a commitment that actually there's going to be enough cash flow to pay dividends. There's right. going to be enough cash flow to, to actually buy these warrants that will give them the north of 50%. Look, these guys said a lot of things today that were very bullish, I think, for cannabis. And, and ultimately, the growth opportunity of a lifetime, these guys are early in. And, and, and look at what's going on with their core business, low-end wine. That's why they're going for growth. But what did what they say is a bullish for consolation? Well, I don't know if it's bullish for Constellation no. because it, yeah. it's not. I mean, not. listen, if you're going to play this space, where's Talk the growth area in this? What is Constellation doing? They're buying into the cannabis industry. So why would I want to buy Constellation? Why wouldn't I buy into the cannabis industry? We know that this is one of the secular growth stories out there at this point in time. So I'd much rather be in the ones that are going to be bought than the buyers. 
You know, originally I, I, I would have disagreed with that. But now watching this play out with Constellation and how poorly that stock has reacted originally over the last six, when? nine like months. Pre, pre year ago, pre-canopy pre and all the rest of that. Yeah, I mean, Constellation seemed like they were humming along. And then suddenly, ever since they started putting the money towards that, which was the growth, and I don't think it was the wrong thing, I think it was the right thing to do, but their own stock and their, their so own... And 40% is October. Off. Yes, absolutely been beaten down. Yeah. So there are real questions and about about its ability to, to you know, find that growth every, on their main... Yeah. Uh, although, again, I think that's, you know, that, that today was reaffirmed, and that's one of the reasons why you had one stock down 10, one stock up 10. All right, well, so. the pot stocks have been on fire to start the year, so what are some of the big catalysts for 2019? Tim's going to head on over to the plasma. Yeah, and, and let's be clear. I mean, this has been a rocky ride for the cannabis space. And if you think about the last month, we've talked about markets that have rallied. Well, I want to be clear also, this is a market that actually over the last, say, three weeks has actually had an enormous run. You're up about 35% in essentially since the start of the year across the sector. So what's going to happen in 2019? Well, first of all, what we're going to do is I think we're going to weed out the winners. And I think you're actually going to see enormous bifurcation between brands and not just having a big multi-state operator, but actually the companies that are executing. That's what we want to see. Again, we've had to work through this enormous backlog of RTOs. And frankly, I think there's more to go for this market on the public side. But that's good news. The bottom line is also in 2019, guess what? Check marks the spot. There's going to be more legislation that is going to be a major driver for a sector. That's obviously the East Coast, which looks like it's about to flip. New York is certainly rushing, uh, I think, to legalize. And New York is certainly rushing to even beat New Jersey to it. So when the East Coast goes, you've got a major demographic story to get behind what's already this growth story. And again, I'm less concerned about run rates in Canada right now. I'm concerned about the United States. I'm concerned about California, which is the biggest market in the world right now. And then bottom line, consumer euphoria. This is one of these things where look at what happened with this farm bill and the hemp component of the farm bill and the footprint that now wellness companies can put into, and I'm talking about big multinational companies, gigantic companies that are in the wellness space, are in the cosmetic space. They are working right now. It gets you into food processing and ag processing. These are the catalysts in 2019 because this is the sophistication of an industry that is growing up. And yeah, I think there's enormous catalysts. By the way, it was healthy to see what the market did. The public markets got way ahead of themselves, probably got two knocked down and actually created a great opportunity here. Top two picks, Tim, right now. Well, first of all, I actually think Canopy, if you think about their positioning both as a, as a global company through Constellation Brands, the fact of the matter is they do have a footprint in the U.S. Their EBU acquisition certainly gets them into both the hemp and the science side of the business. Um, I think a name like Acreage is proving that a multi-state operator is somebody that can actually uh, execute. And let's watch some of these big guys that raised a lot of money uh, and actually have to follow through. But we're getting some good signs there. And I think some of these bigger names are ones you can stay with. Hey, Tim, it's BK, longtime listener, first-time caller. Yes, you are. Great on this, but I'm curious. You mentioned the wellness companies. Do they suffer the same fate that, uh, that Constellation Brand does? Should I just be buying Canopy and the producers, or are the wellness companies a good buy as well? Well, the fact that... You know, basically hemp-based CBD is now, with a little bit of tweaking by the FDA, and let's be clear, they still have to really determine where you go from plant to product, but that you're going to have an opportunity for people like L'Oreal, who's already in the business through uh, Body Shop and other places. But I, I think, it, you know, whether it's Whole Foods that's going to be a major distributor or Walgreens or places that, this is going to be a whole group of people that, at least for right now, have no interest in anything psychotropic that has to deal with cannabis. But whether it's hemp or whether it's wellness-based, I would take a look at some of these names, and you're going to see it happen.
All right, and be sure to tune into a jam-packed Mad Money tonight with the Constellation CEOs and Canopy Growth CEO. That is at the top of the hour. Coming up, check out shares of KB Home jumping after hours. That stock up nearly 20% to start the year. We'll tell you if there's still time to buy. Plus, small cap stocks in huge gains off the December lows. But one trader just made a more than $3 million bet the group could come crashing down. We've got all the details. More fast. Still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on KB Home. The stock is higher after hours after an earnings beat. Uh, the home builder did say that the average home price dropped 5% in the fourth quarter. Check out Lennar shares as well rallying today earlier in a bizarre move by the company. It announced it was not giving guidance because of the market conditions. Take a listen to the executive chairman explaining that decision on the exchange. Even a great war room with great analytics can't divine uh, what the market's going to do as we're in this slow time of the year. And we've seen this year after year. It's just a very quiet time of the year in the home building world. As we come into the end of January and into February, we'll start to get a better read on the market. And that's when we'll start to come out with more uh, defined guidance uh, going forward. Now, you would think that if a company said we're not going to give guidance because the market conditions are not good and it's slow, it would be a negative thing for investors. But you own the stock, so... I owned it before these comments, by the way. So I've, Do you I've owned, not like these comments? Yeah, it's a, I'm a little concerned when I hear that coming from the CEO. I, I think there's got to be some sort of vision. I mean, it's this isn't like uh, the the industrial names when they have all the concerns about the trade wars with China and all the rest of that. It's it's far different than that. So it is a little bit concerning. I think what... what plays in their favor still, though, is we were all concerned about the Fed. We were all concerned about interest rates as they were rising and all the rest of that stuff. And we're, we're because of what we're seeing right now, I think the potential is there for the builders to actually have a little bit of a lift to the upside. Yeah, but to his point, they have no visibility between right. now and the spring selling season. And that's actually really disappointing, except for the fact that the stock ripped today. And you've actually had a really nice call. I think about a month, month ago, you power pitched these names. I did there was absolutely no There was no <laughs> fundamental reason to buy them other than that they were so beaten up. A name like Lennar was trading at 70 a year ago in January, was down 50%. So to me, this is the sort of sale or this sort of trade that you want to actually want to sell into, you don't want to be buying it here. Yeah, I'm with you. You, you want to fade this. I mean, especially if, I, if, if we were think, playing fade If we were trade. playing oh. that game, yeah, you want to fade, fade the home builders. But the biggest concern here, if interest rates are going higher, these guys are going to get crushed. They don't have any vision. Why do I think that I'm going to have any more vision? Take your gift and go home. If I was shooting the bird, right, like the red, and, and, they, and it was yield. green, that's, that's not, the duck doesn't game. apply to this one. Oh, so if you trade it or fade it, well, guys, you're higher or lower, like those things it. apply to this. I, I think, Take your pick. I, I think there's two things going on with home builders. First of all, you, you've had rates come down a little bit, so you gave a little bit of life here to people to short cover across the board. Um, the lack of visibility in the sector is partially a function of changing tastes by consumers. Affordability is not there, and you're actually seeing people rent. Right now, I, I don't think we've changed that cycle, even though there's a ton of bad news in these names. I, I actually think you look at Lennar, somewhere around 35 bucks is, is a bottom, because that's a five-year level the stock continues to bounce you want to go home-building related yeah. or home-related, Bed, bed yeah. Bath & Beyond, we're just yep. looking at the corner of the screen, it's a 15% on earnings. Yeah. yeah, pretty impressive. And you know what? You look at Home Depot, you look at Lowe's, some yeah. of these names out there, I think there are still opportunities in, in that space, and that's why TJX remains one of those names as well. All right. Love the 20% coupon. It's up 15%, though. Coming up, <laughs> small cap stocks seeing a big bounce off the recent lows, but one trader just made a huge bet the rally could be short-lived. We will explain. We're live at the NASDAQ in Times Square. Much more fast. Still ahead.
Welcome back to Fast Money. Small caps are on fire, up more than 13% from the December lows. But one trader just made a $3 million bet that small caps could be about to could crash. Dan has the uh, options action now. Dan. Yeah, so Mel, put volume was one and a half times that of calls today. And like you said, the outperformance in the Russell 2000 or the IWM, the ETF that tracks the Russell 2000, has been pretty impressive. It's up almost 7% on the year versus the S&P that's up 3% or, t- uh, or so. So today there was a trade when the stock was trading just above 142. A trader looked out to May expiration and bought 7,500 of the May 135 puts, paying $4.50 for those. Those break even down 8% on May expiration at 130.5. If they are, in fact, an outright bearish bet, they could also be obviously a hedge against a long uh, basket of small cap stocks. I just want to make one point about that outperformance this year. Look at the chart of the IWM, the one year. It goes back to some of the things we were talking about earlier in the show. It's really gotten right back up to this breakdown level um, from earlier uh, in the year and then the double bottom low where it just cratered in December. Um, so this is a really important uh, technical resistance level. And I just want to make one point looking at the five-year chart here. We obviously saw the outperformance on the upside in 2017 and most of 2018 and the crater here. But look at this intersection between the breakout level from early last year and the uptrend that's been in place over the last 10 years. This level down near 120 could be some really good technical support. So sometimes when we're looking at some of these strikes and we're trying to figure out what's going on, 135 down to 120, you know, that's about a 10% move or so. So sometimes when investors are looking to put on some protection, they're kind of using the technicals to help inform those strikes. Pete, where do you stand on small caps? You know, I tend to be with Dan on this one, surprisingly, on, on, the, on a little bit of the protection of the downside and looking maybe for some downside pullback on this. That's a big move this has made over a short period of time to the upside. But I agree with Dan. I think you break that 135 level I think you were talking about, this thing could easily be in the 120s. Higher or lower on small caps? Lower. Uh, I think it's been an extraordinary rally back. And I, I, you know, the same risks that are out there, the same conversation we had at the start of the show works for this even more. Traded or faded small caps? So you came out That's nice. Well done. I, I think you fade it. And I, even if you're long, though, I think the lesson here is that you should be buying puts at this point in time. When volatility has come down, you make hay when the sun shines. That's what I think you do here. For more options action, check out the full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, final trade. I like the case. <laughs> You know, you brought up that BBB wide tonight and that big spike we're seeing to the upside. Retail is on fire again, baby. Target's going higher. Right, baby. Tim. So we talk constellation tonight. <laughs> I don't think you need to go in and buy this tomorrow. I'm along the name. I'm not happy today, but I still think this is one of the best guys in the beer and spirit space. In fact, they've proven that for years. PK. Well, I found the Fed minutes fascinating today. I know oh. most people don't, and most people don't want to talk about the dollar, but it went lower today. Therefore, I think gold's going higher. You know our friend Tony Dwyer comes on the show a lot. Great. Yeah, yeah. He said great, he said great after guy. a crash like that, you get this reflex rally that a retest of the downside. I think the S&P has limited upside here over the next month. I think you sell the spy or buy spy put spreads. Surprising view by you. I'm <laughs> shocked that he's a uh, I haven't, I haven't had a power on in months. No, I just How do you feel about right, Maga? Stay in your lane, bro. All yeah. right, that does it for us. See <laughs> you back here tomorrow at 5 for more fast money. Meantime, don't go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Cramer. Big big show coming up next. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. 
or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.